If you'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20 will be our main text this evening. You'll find that on page 663 of the Red Pew Bible, if that's a Bible that you would like to use this evening. It'll be a few moments before we get to that text, so we may look at some other things, so maybe just put a marker there and uh, look at some of these other ones, but that will be our main text in a few minutes this evening. Tonight I want you to imagine that I have a full bag of lollipops. And let's say that I am passing out these lollipops to everyone who is here tonight. And some of you who are here tonight receive two lollipops. Some of you only receive one lollipop. And those who, among those who only receive one lollipop are going to be my two girls, Aurora and Iris. I know, I'm an awful dad, right? Aurora and Iris, I use the lollipop because this is one of their favorites, especially Iris, to illustrate this. And I'm sorry, this is just a mental exercise tonight that I didn't actually bring any to you. I use this as an exercise to say whenever Aurora and Iris receive their one lollipop and they look around and they see others that have more than one lollipop, What is most likely going to come out of their mouths is something along the lines of three words which kids learn very early on. That's not fair. Not fair. Some of the earliest judgments we make as human beings have to do with fairness. It's very important to kids. It becomes very important to adults as well. It starts early on. Now, some of the judgments of fairness may be accurate. Some of them may not be. Some of them may be a bit exaggerated, a little slanted. Imagine if you have a 16-year-old, and let's say that your 16-year-old has the privilege of driving a car, and you as a parent set the rule that your child must be home by 10 p.m. She may drive the car, but she must be back by 10 p.m. She may look at some of her friends who don't have to be back to their house until 11 or 12. And she looks at her 10 p.m. curfew and says, that's not fair. However, what she will probably fail to do is to consider all her other friends who are 16 who don't even have access to a car, who have not had their license yet, or maybe they do, but their parents won't let them drive at all. And they may look at her situation when she gets to drive and stay up till 10, and they say, that's not fair. You see, fairness becomes comparisons with other people rather than just judging by a standard of truth the way that we start to evaluate fairness. Considering fairness seems to be a pretty universal human consideration. And there's reason for that. It could be something that's very good. It could be a foundation for something that, if it matures, it, could, it matures into consideration of matters of justice, uh, you know, such as equality before the law and social practices in our world around us. I'm thankful that some have had the courage to say it's not fair that some ride in the front of a bus and others are forced to the back of a bus based on the color of their skin, even if they all had paid the same bus fare. That's a matter of justice. And that's an issue where a sense of fairness has led to social change for good, for justice. But like many things in a fallen world, fairness can be distorted. 
It often turns into something very egocentric. What I mean by that is we tend to think in term, of fairness in terms of not just what seems best to me, but what is best for me, whatever works best for me. If we benefit from what could be an inequity, we tend to gloss over it. But if we see others benefiting, we think ourselves as being slighted if we're not receiving the same benefit. As Christopher Wright says, we do not usually reflect on fairness and unfairness in relation to God's blessings. We are not so inclined to respond with, that's not fair, when we enjoy gifts and blessings that others do not. But we look around at what others are receiving. Now I'll come back to that original scenario. If I gave Aurora and Iris, if I gave them each one lollipop and they had no clue that anyone else received anything, they may have been very happy with that because they would understand that as a gift. It's when we start looking around and comparing ourselves with others where we can get distorted ideas about fairness. The more we know about what others have, the more we start to argue about fairness. Now where we're going tonight is this parable in Matthew 20, which is a a profound teaching about fairness. Now we're not going to read it yet, but I I want to to give you some other ideas in the Bible first that that contribute to the discussion of fairness, and then we will focus the rest of our time on Matthew 20. The question of fairness comes up pretty early in the scriptures. One of the earliest episodes where there is a question about fairness that is raised is when God has some information for Abraham that the city of Sodom is about to be destroyed. There's a judgment on the city. And you may remember that God is having this interaction with Abraham. Abraham has the courage, the boldness to speak up and ask God some tough questions. He begins what we may even say is a negotiation. He is priesting. He is stepping in. He's interceding on behalf of the people of Sodom because he has, he's personally vested in the welfare of that city because he has family there. He has people that he very much cares about in that city. So here's what Abraham asks of God in Genesis 18 verses 23 through 25. He says, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of the earth deal justly? That's a bold statement for someone to make to God, but it's at least an early example of us thinking through issues of fairness. This is an example of Abraham seeing something that uh, he sees on the horizon, and the more he thinks about it, he thinks, well, that's not fair, and isn't God supposed to be a God who deals justly? So he raises this challenge, and you can read the rest of that discussion some other time in Genesis chapter 18. It's a question about fairness. There are other books who raise similar questions. Some of the dialogue between Job and his friends centers around the idea of fairness. Is this fair? What has happened to Job? You know, the suffering that he is going through. Is that fair? Is God, is, is, what, what do we make of that? Some of these questions are raised in the, in the book of Psalms. We as modern readers, we have a tendency to raise a lot of questions about fairness whenever we come to the biblical text. Uh, and, and some of these are going to be things like when you read of the conquest of Canaan. And you read of these entire nations uh, that God had told the Israelites to destroy. Is that fair to them? Is it fair to their children? 
to be subject to that. We may even ask questions like, you know, the Jews were probably asking this question. They were in slavery for 400 years before Moses comes along and God uses that time to deliver them out of their slavery. Why wait that long? Is it fair for them to endure 400 years before that? Or maybe later generations would ask, well, how come it seems like the behavior is just as bad in some generations as in others, and yet some of the generations actually end up going into exile and others did not? They lived lived through it and did not get the punishment that later generations would get. Is that fair? The whole idea of the problem of of evil and suffering. Why do bad things happen to good people? The, The language that many people use whenever they raise that question is a question about fairness. People will even raise questions about fairness when it comes to some other things that we're we're studying. You know, this year we're preaching through gender issues, and there's a lot of questions people raise when it comes to looking at gender roles in the scriptures. Is that fair? Is it fair that, that God says this for men and he says this for women? Is it fair that there's this idea of heaven, there's this idea of hell and questions that come up about that? You can see how fairness is something that is at least on our mind. It's a criteria that we use to try to think through these issues. Whether that's right or whether that's wrong, it's something that is on our minds and we ask these tough questions that are related to fairness. So the Bible itself has some important considerations about fairness. And one of those, a couple of them uh, come from the teachings of Jesus. One in particular, before we get to Matthew 20, let's let Jesus make some contributions to this discussion. The first big one that he makes is in the Sermon on the Mount. If you actually look at Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to compel us to reevaluate our understanding of fairness, specifically in how we treat our enemies and those who have done us wrong. He's going to say towards the end of Matthew chapter 5 that we are to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. So we're looking specifically at verses 43 through 48 in that text. Then he gives us a reason. And the reason is that we may be like our Father in heaven, how he treats others. Well, how does he treat others? You go on and read a little further. What does he do? He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, this is a little bit of a reverse of what the question that Abraham had raised. When Abraham raised a question about judgment, a question about suffering, should should the wicked and the righteous both suffer. Well, here we have Jesus saying, well, let's flip that around. Let's think of that from a different perspective here. Have you ever considered that why should the wicked and the righteous both receive blessing? And yet they do. They do receive blessing from God. He causes the sun to rise on both the the just and the unjust, the righteous and and the unrighteous. They receive the blessings of sunshine. They receive the blessings of rain. Those things to farmers are going. They they mean everything. You got to have sunshine. You got to have rain. Both if you're going to produce crops in order to sustain life. God provides those blessings. Now that's a huge challenge to our idea of fairness. Here's how we tend to think. We tend to think. I will treat people according to how they have treated me. I will treat people according to how they have treated me. That seems fair. And yet you go on and read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. You come to Matthew chapter 7, and you look at what that text says in verse 12. And you're going to see what we often call the golden rule, which is not 
treat people according to how they have treated you. It is treat people according to how you would want them to treat you. There's a huge difference there. That may not seem fair to us, and yet that is part of the teaching of Jesus. God's idea of fairness does not work strictly according to merit. If it was strictly according to merit, someone may not have deserved my respect. Someone may not have deserved my love. And in terms of my thinking, if it's just left up to me, there's a lot of people that I don't think have earned my respect or have earned my love. And yet, if I am a follower of Jesus, I am supposed to respect them. I'm supposed to love them. I'm supposed to treat them as I would want them to treat me. That's a different idea of fairness than what our, maybe our wisdom, the wisdom of the world, we may say, one form of it, our intuition tells us about what is fair. Jesus is challenging an idea of fairness with this teaching. God's rule of fairness, again, does not work strictly according to merit. If it did, the ideas of blessing and of grace would be completely null. They wouldn't make sense. They are words which describe gifts. The very idea of things that we haven't earned. And some of these gifts we may perceive as unevenly distributed. And that's where we get into trouble as well. You know, in Jesus' parable of the talents, we may not like this, but each man in that story receives a different amount of money. When we talk about spiritual gifts, and we're not just talking about financial stewardship, but we talk about spiritual gifts. We preached on that a little bit this morning. And we talk about, you know, what, uh, what's given to us by God, that the gifts differ. And sometimes that, that you know, the, um, the amount that one person has as far as how gifted they are in a particular area may differ from someone else. And that's okay. It's still a blessing. It's still a gift. We again get into trouble when we start trying to compare ourselves with others and seeing ourselves as either inferior or superior to them. And then we start complaining about fairness and arguing about that. If we instead just looked at what we had as a blessing, as a gift from God, then I think we would be more thankful people. I think we, would be, we wouldn't struggle quite as much with some of these things that we're talking about tonight. We may show ourselves capable of being good stewards of more, God may choose to give us more according to teachings like that parable of the talents. But either way, it's still a gift. It's not something that's, this, that's strictly according to merit. And all that brings us to Matthew chapter 20. And I want to read this parable tonight. This is a parable which is going to involve work. It's going to involve wages. And it's not there to teach us that salvation is by merit. But it is to show us how easy that it can be to start arguing about the fairness of God. The parable is going to start off with day laborers. The concept of day laborers, you know, who are waiting in the marketplace for someone to come along who needs a day's work. And people uh, may, may have, you know, a lot of cultures this is practiced. And, um, you know, some places it may still be... Uh, Today, where you, you know, people are looking for just a day's wait. They don't have a long-term contract, you know, uh, but they are looking for a day's work. And you know where to go if you're someone who needs to, to pick up workers for the day. And they're looking for that. And so basically we have a one-day contract of wages that is agreed upon by these day workers in this parable. Let's read the parable and then consider a few things from it tonight. Matthew 20, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 16 from the Word of God. 
For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour. Okay, this is now uh, 9 a.m., according to Jewish time, if we're talking about the third hour. And saw others standing in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. Notice that language, whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour. So we're now talking about noon and even 3 p.m. ninth hour. And did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, so 5 p.m., time of day when a lot of us are knocking off for the day. Eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. Now let's pause there for just a moment. It looks to be that there are five different times of the day when people have started their work according to this parable. Early in the morning, okay, so that, that may be right around the 6 a.m. hour. At 9 a.m., we got some at noon, we got some at 3, we got some at 5 p.m. So five different uh, amounts of work that they have put in. Now they are getting their wages at the end of the day. First night. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first last. This is the word of God. Now notice some of the things that's said here. Notice that whenever they're lining up to receive their wages, they are, the landowner intentionally has the ones who work the least amount of time there at the front of the line to receive their wages first. Now think about that. If you're at the back of the line, you've worked all day. Now think of this, and maybe you're, maybe you're one of those who started early in the day. Maybe you've put in about 12 hours. It seems to be the time frame that all this is, is going on. Maybe that's what you've put in of hard labor. And if you've done some, some 12-hour days of, of hard labor, uh, some, we're talking about you know, the farming labor here. Is, it's this back-breaking stuff. Okay? Uh, this is stuff where yeah, you're, you're going to be sore at the end of the day, especially if it's been hot. And from this text, it seems like it's been very hot. It's been a long day. And the landowner intentionally places you in the back of the line so that you see the wages that everyone else in front of you is receiving. 
and you see the guys that are going first and you're thinking, okay, well, I, I worked a full day. I agreed to a denarius. That's what I'm expecting. Now, if you had just gotten your wage and had not seen what anyone else got, that's what you agreed to. You would have been perfectly fine with it. But you see that that guy who only put in one hour of work, he gets the same wage as you. Now, let's be honest. Are you, are you expecting a little more than a denarius? If they got a denarius, which is really the, you know, the average amount for a full day's work in that culture, is a denarius. That's what's meant by that. And they got that for one hour. I'm expecting a lot. <laughs> I expect, okay, maybe that's per hour. Maybe I misunderstood at the beginning of the day. You know, maybe we're getting up. I'm going to be set for a few days here. Uh, and then I get up there and I get the same thing that that guy got. I, and I'll be honest with you. I think if most of us are honest in looking at this, we're going to say those three words, that's not fair. So what do we make of this? First, let's consider it's not that they received less than the others. It's that the others received the same. What does the landowner say in response to this? Three things. First, he says, I have done you no wrong. Now, is that true? You got what you agreed to. You made a day's wage. I have done you no wrong. Just because I bestowed blessing and gift upon the others does not mean that I have done you wrong. Okay? Saying this from the landowner's perspective here. We're trying to make sense of this. Second, your eye, and this is a common expression in, in Jewish language, you read this a lot in the New Testament, your eye is literally evil, bad, okay, or envious, because I am ungenerous. Excuse me, because I am generous. This also makes sense of Jesus' teachings. If you go back and read the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about the eye is a lamp of the body. And having a good eye, a clear eye, and not an evil eye. A good eye is one that is generous. It's one that is, that is seeing the needs of others and is, and is willing to give, willing to bless others. The opposite of that here is that they have an eye that is envious. It is evil. It is bad. Because I am generous. Because he is someone who does not just work strictly according to merit. That's a lot of what the landowner is saying here. He is not working just strictly according to merit, but according to grace. Now, there's a lot of applications for this. You know, a lot of people think of this parable in terms of, you know, what if someone has been a Christian for 80 years of their life, and they've invested, you know, 80 years of their life into work in the kingdom? And what if you've got someone else who, who just repents and is baptized, gives his life to Christ, you know, at the end of his life, and he's already in his 80s, his 90s, and, and, uh, and then he, he dies on his deathbed, and he's only given, you know, what, what we would say, you know, a week's worth of time in the kingdom. Should he receive the same as the other man? You can apply, apply this parable to a lot of other questions that we may ask about fairness. But God does not work just according to merit. He works according to grace. This message is throughout the Bible. We thank him that he does not work strictly according to merit 
Because if he did, the wages, same language that is used, if you go over to the book of Romans and you start connecting dots, that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and you go over to Romans 6.23 and you see that the wages of that sin is what? It's death. Okay? You, want to, you really want this according to merits? Is that what you want? That's not what I want. <laughs> you read the parable of the prodigal son, you're going to see a very similar situation, very similar complaint, a lesson that the brother, the older brother needed. You remember his discussion with the father at the end of that parable? He found his brother unworthy of the gifts that had been bestowed upon him. He saw himself as much more deserving of that than his brother. And he, he, he let that egocentric idea of fairness get in the way of what should have been a celebration of a homecoming, of a little brother who had gone astray and had come back home, and yet he made it about himself. He approached his father with a bad eye. He approached him with an ungenerous mindset, just focused on merit, when he should have been rejoicing. Here's the third thing that the landowner says. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Now that is the ultimate question, right? When it comes to fairness and when it comes to talking about God's fairness on any of these issues. If we're talking about heaven and hell, if we're talking about gender issues, if we're talking about you know, the conquest of Canaan and these, any issues that don't make full sense to us and we start to think through and say, well, that's not fair. There's a degree of trust in this statement. But ultimately, this is what God is asking us to buy into. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? It's a divine prerogative here. Now, that doesn't mean that God just arbitrarily makes decisions and deals unjustly. If you study the rest of Scripture, part of what all these stories in this grand narrative of Scripture are there to teach us is that God is building a reputation of goodness, of righteousness. The Bible attaches justice and righteousness to God's actions all through the scriptures. And I think it demonstrates that story after story. God is true to the covenant. God is true to the promises about the Messiah. God's word does not come back void. God is true in what he says, what he does. It's not that God ever deals unjustly. It's just that what what we see as just and fair is not always what God sees as just and fair. And it's up to us to leave it up to God to make that call. Whether that's matters of suffering when it comes to our health. You know, why do do I have all these, these health issues and this guy over here seems to never have anything wrong with him? That seems unjust, God. Whether that's wealth inequality. Why have I worked hard my whole life and yet I've just got... A little bit that I've saved to show for it. This guy over here, you know, he's, he's just a recipient of a trust fund. All, his parents did all the work. That's not fair. Whether that's the idea of hell, who's saved and who's not, leave it up to God and trust Him to deal justly. 
When you struggle with thinking about God's fairness, it's okay to wrestle with it. The Psalms are there. Books like Job are there to guide us through that. It's okay to express that struggle in prayer. That's where I would encourage you to express it. Talk to God about it. He wants you to be open with Him. But here's where I strongly encourage you to not go in the message I'll leave with you tonight. Because I've seen so many people go down this path. Please don't jump to the conclusions that just because you perceive something as unfair, that you can no longer believe in a God who would say this or do this. When you go down that path, I'm convinced that most of us who go that far down this road are thinking of all these issues in terms of merit instead of in terms of grace. And we're thinking of it through human eyes instead of through God's eyes. Any gifts that we have, spiritual gifts, here's what I mean by us thinking too much in terms of merit. Any gifts that we have, spiritual gifts for service in the kingdom, the roles that God has given us, the degree of health that we do have, the work which we do have to do, the salvation we have in Jesus Christ, the very air that we breathe, the very food that is on our tables, all of it, all of it is a blessing. It's not something I deserve as a matter of fairness. Because the moment I start thinking any of that I deserve as a matter of fairness is the moment when I am, I'm going to go down this road and I'm going to start, I'm going to start determining what is fair and what's not. And I'm eventually going to call God unfair. And I may even leave him as a result of it. I thank my God that he does not think of fairness in the same terms that we do. Let's trust him. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to trust that you are good, you are righteous, you are just. And we trust in Abraham's statement. I don't think he was doubting you. He just wanted to talk through these issues. That we trust that the God of all the universe will deal justly. Father, we don't always understand why some people seem to have more of health, of wealth, of talents, of whatever it may be. We don't always understand why some are suffering greatly today and others are not. We don't always understand these matters of, of fairness But Father, we trust in you. We trust, we we pray, Father, that we can develop an even stronger trust in you. And sometimes, Father, when we run across something in your word that doesn't make sense to us, it may seem unfair to us. We pray that we will still trust you, that you are good, that you are righteous, that you are just. And we pray that we will listen and that we will obey, even if... It doesn't seem fair. And give us the wisdom that over time 
And Father, we know in so many ways we have begun to see the wisdom in your teachings if we will just hang in there and practice them over time. But Father, until we see that, may we still practice them anyway. We love you, Father. No matter what each of us are receiving from you, may we rejoice in the gifts that we have and that others have. May we not look upon others with envy. And may we not accuse you of being unjust. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, if you're here and, and are not sure if you are in the body of Christ tonight, if you have the forgiveness of sins that comes by God's grace, it's a grace that we still have to receive. We have to accept it. He offers it to us. He is, the message of his word is that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins. He has taken your sin upon himself and he has taken it to, to destroy it so it would no longer be something that you would have to hold on to as a burden. It, but you have, to let, you have to let yourself be cleansed in that blood. You have to let yourself be joined with him. Your salvation is based on his righteousness and not your own. The Bible talks about how we do that by responding in faith that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. We're willing to confess that. We're willing to repent of our sins, turn from, from the life that we have lived, and turn toward him, as Peter told the group that was gathered in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And if you get that idea of repentance is also attached to the idea of baptism into Christ. That in baptism, we take the old man and we bury the old man and we are joined with Jesus. And when we rise, we rise to walk in newness of life. We've been raised with him, forgiven of our sins, receive the gift of the Spirit, and ready to live a new life with Him. If you want to talk about that this evening, or if we can pray about something on your behalf, please come as together we stand and as we sing.